Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. Today's scripture is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, and 17 through 27. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And by my hands 
And I hope you choose it well Though you try hard You may fall prey To the jaded jewel But by your lies Be you spirit And by your hearts Be you please. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, there are good sermons and there are not so good sermons. Fortunately, though, the, whatever the words of the preacher, the Holy Spirit intervenes, delivering to the ears and the heart of any worshiper a message enhanced by God's voice. And I, I want you to know, I always appreciate your feedback and your thoughts about any particular sermon, because I believe that preaching is best understood as a dialogue between pastor and people. In my time at Epworth, though, perhaps the sermon that has received the most positive and excited feedback was one I preached in the summer before the pandemic on the, the scripture from the 10th chapter of Luke in which Jesus comes to visit Martha and Mary. Do you remember that one? I hope you remember that one. <laughs> so without preaching the whole sermon again, as the scripture has been translated and interpreted, Jesus comes into the town where Martha and Mary are living, goes back to their home, gathers a group to him, and begins to teach. And the group includes Mary, while that, that's, you know, that's listening to Jesus. Um, the scripture says she's sitting at his feet. And, and it includes the other sister, Martha, who does the cooking and the serving and the cleaning up. And Martha addresses Jesus, that Mary isn't helping. And, and Jesus tells her, essentially, stop being so dramatic. Mary is doing what is better. Or, that, or at, least, at least that's how it's always been preached. It's a story that's rankled many. But the, that sermon was about the new scholarship that has, has found that, in fact, the original text says nothing about going to a home. The word home, house, isn't even in the text. 
It was inserted much later by an editor, and Mary was likely not even in the town. She was likely out being a traveling evangelist, not even there when this story occurs. And though the word better is used by Jesus to describe Mary's work as preferenced over Martha's, in fact, the original text it has, has more of a connotation that's, that's nuanced, where better is only in reference to the fact that being a traveling evangelist was better for Mary herself. That was better for her, because that was her call. But Martha's call was different, and Martha's call may or may not have been about cooking and cleaning up. There's so much in this new scholarship and of the story that for a long time has, has been a, a, a kind of a, a problematic story that, that seems to devalue one kind of serving over another. And there's so much in this new scholarship that's liberative and actually sounds a lot more like Jesus than the way it's been told for centuries. So it's not surprising to me that that sermon was received with a lot of excitement. Well, in today's text from John, we also encounter Mary and Martha. They're back. The scripture begins, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. For centuries, preachers have tied together this Mary and Martha with that other Mary and Martha from Luke. Cognitive psychologists tell us that our minds are predisposed to look for connections and to try to harmonize things. It helps with the millions of data points that are coming at us constantly that our brains are trying to process. It's a, it's a facilitator of social relationships. But it's also this same phenomenon that undergirds implicit bias. So we need to be exceedingly careful about these unconscious cognitive connections and try our best to bring them into consciousness. We know that our Bible is not a book by a single author and that editors over time have attempted to make the text more readable and understandable by doing this, this thing that our brains do naturally, this thing called harmonizing. Harmonizing aspects in our text that don't seem to fit together or to just make this multi-sourced book more coherent. Much of this harmonizing happened a millennia ago when the sources were newer. And the harmonizing is by and large invisible to us now. Well, this is back to school weekend. And so I want to share this morning about a student, a student who was called to study and through her answering of that call has made something that was invisible now visible. This story was shared by New Testament scholar Diana Butler Bass at the Wild Goose Festival this year. The Wild Goose is, a, is an annual festival of progressive Christianity that happens in the, in the mountains of western North Carolina. And the student that Diana Butler Bass shared about this year is, is named Elizabeth Schrader. A few years ago, Elizabeth was praying in the garden of a church in Upper Manhattan when she heard the words, 
follow Mary Magdalene. Wow. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. We always want to hear a voice, right? But, but actually hearing a voice as, as Elizabeth did, a clear voice with a clear message, that doesn't happen very often. And the message she heard was, follow Mary Magdalene. So she's an Episcopalian, and so she called up the Episcopal Seminary in New York City. It's called General Theological Seminary. And she said, I, I need to learn more about Mary Magdalene. Can I do that there? And they said she could. She could enroll in a master's degree program in New Testament studies, and that would include some uh, study of Mary Magdalene. And, and so she, she went ahead and she did that. And she entered into that program. She dived into it. She learned the languages of the New Testament. And when Elizabeth got to the point of picking a thesis topic, she told her advisor that she wanted to write on Mary Magdalene and this text that we had for this morning, John 11. And her advisor, as quoted by Bass, said, absolutely, you can do that. And then she said, do you know these texts have lately become available as digitized texts? And so if you want to study Mary Magdalene, I want you to look at the earliest possible New Testament texts and try to say something new that we haven't heard before. What is amazing about this point in history is that so much of our learning has become democratized. Whole libraries are online. In fact, I have three major libraries on my phone. And now obscure primary sources that um, are, are physically housed in remote locations and were previously only available to scholars who had time and big resource budgets to actually go there. Now these amazing original texts are available to anyone with a device and an internet connection. These primary sources include the papyri on which the earliest copies of Christian and Hebrew sacred scripture were written. And one of these uh, is Papyrus 66, which is the oldest and most complete version we have of John 11. So Elizabeth pulled up Papyrus 66 on her computer and she got into the text and then she noticed something odd in the first sentence of the Greek. The text read, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Mary. Huh? The scripture that you heard read this morning said the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So what's going on here? Now, the, the text that Elizabeth was looking at dates from 200. And what Elizabeth discovered was that the Greek letter iota, which makes up the Greek spelling of Mary, had been changed in the text to the Greek letter theta, thereby changing the name of Mary to the name of Martha. And the pronoun... His, referring to Lazarus, had been changed to her, referring to the first referenced Mary, her sister, which in essence established two women in the text instead of one. 
a Mary and a Martha instead of just a Mary. Well, Elizabeth Schrader traced this thread through the whole text and found that in every instance, instance in the rest of John 11 and John 12, where our English text now says Martha, the papyrus, the original text, read Mary. The story changed from being about Lazarus's sister, who was in dialogue with Jesus, to two sisters, Mary and Martha. But there weren't two women in the original story. There was no Martha. So not only did this obscure the original story, the John 11, which we have today, began to get conflated with the Luke 10, which seemed to be about the same family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But as our scholarship has become more precise, we've learned that no Lazarus is mentioned in Luke 10, and no Martha is mentioned in John 11. Different families. So of course, this is interesting, right? Accuracy matters. When we think about the amount of time that Christians and scholars have spent poring over each word in the New Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, interpreting and patterning our lives over what we believe it says, accuracy matters. But there's something even more important about what Elizabeth Schrader discovered. In John 11, the character who has been edited to be Martha and Jesus have a discourse about the resurrection of the brother Lazarus. Now we know this was actually a discourse between Mary and Jesus. And in this discourse, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Mary, we now know, responds, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. This is one of two statements in Scripture of what is known as a Christological confession. These are important declarations about the nature of Jesus and the testimony of a follower about their belief. The other Christological confession is declared by Peter, Peter. Who, when Jesus asked him, who am I? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And until now, we haven't really paid much attention to this second, this other Christological confession in John 11, because it was uttered by a minor character, Martha. But now we know that this was actually Mary, Mary Magdalene. And here's the kicker. Always we have understood Magdalene, part of Mary's name, to be a reference to her hometown, Magdala, the Magdalene from Magdala. But in separating these two stories of John 11 and Luke 10 and recovering the fullness of Mary in John 11, we see that this Mary, this Mary lived not in the village of Magdala. Remember the, the, the opening phrase to today's text, in the village of Bethany. So this Mary 
is from, is from, is from Bethany, not Magdala. So what does Magdala refer to? Well, Magdala in Aramaic, which is Jesus' language, means tower. And what is becoming clear is that Magdalene may very well be a title. Mary Magdalene means Mary the tower. Just as Peter was proclaimed the rock upon which the church would be built, Mary was proclaimed the tower from which we can all see heaven and earth. Diana Butler Bass said that when Elizabeth Schrader shared with her about this part of her research, Bass began to cry. It was as if a veil had been lifted and a piece of the tradition she had devoted her life to, a piece that didn't exactly fit and felt kind of off, suddenly became not just clear, but truly life-giving and liberative. This, of course, is an amazing discovery. So amazing that it was picked up by the Harvard Theological Review and has sparked a global debate among New Testament scholars about whether or not John 11 should be fully changed or this discovery should exist in a footnote. I can tell you this, I can tell you this morning that my opinion about the matter is definite. Change the text. Why? Because it matters. It matters not just because of accuracy, but it matters to women and girls and female-identified people all over the world now and forever. It challenges the norms of patriarchy and demonstrates a mutuality in Jesus' relationship with those who followed him. It shows equal respect and gender inclusivity in those who are closest to him, upon whom he relied and upon whom he bestowed the blessing of carrying the legacy of the church. As Diana Butler Bass put it, what if the other story of Mary hadn't been hidden? What if Mary in John 11 hadn't been split into two women and Martha inserted? What if we'd known about Mary the tower all along? What kind of Christianity would we have if the faith hadn't only been based upon Peter, you are the rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church? But what if we'd always known, Mary, you are the tower, and by this tower we shall all stand? My friends, had that happened, I believe we would be living in a different world. But it's not too late! It's never too late, as this discovery shows. And it remains up to us to make wise use of the findings of research and of scholarship. So students and teachers, do your work well. We need you to grow and learn. We need you in order to live freely and to understand what God is truly saying to us. The truth is that we all need to continually be students as we open ourselves and intentionally pursue greater knowledge and understanding. May we recognize the opportunity to share what we know. Parents are teachers, friends are teachers, even chance encounters are teachers. 
May we recognize that we are all learners too, all students and all sharers of knowledge as we continue to receive the depth of God's revelation in the world. Amen. God be in my head and in my understanding. God be in mine eyes and in my looking. God be in my mouth and in my speaking. God be been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week.